Hello, everyone, and welcome to our new episode of Future Talks, a podcast diving deep into the effects of digitalization in our lives and societies. This conversation is brought to you by the British Embassy in Helsinki. Today, we analyze how technological innovations are shaping and improving the global education landscape, especially in the developing countries. In July, the Global Education Summit, co-hosted by UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson and Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta in London, raised a record of $4 billion. This fundraising puts global partnership for education firmly on the path to achieving its target of raising $5 billion over the next five years. And its aim is to transform education for millions of the world's most vulnerable children. So with this in mind, we set out to discuss how can technology and new policies help us improve education prospects in the developing world and what are the most groundbreaking ideas right now in the education sector. We have excellent experts today here in the studio. Paula Malan. Paula works as a senior education advisor for the Ministry for Foreign Affairs of Finland. She uh, has over 10 years of experience supporting education sector development in Africa and the Middle East. Then here on my right, we have Peter Fagestrom. Peter is a founder and CEO of educrafter.com and co-founder and CEO of Teach Millions, a learning bazaar with 60 plus portfolio companies. And there we have Arnaldo Pellini, co-founder of Capability company in Finland and research associate at Overseas Development Institute. Really happy to have all of you here today. And my name is Thomas Lähtemäki and I'm hosting today's discussion. And uh, as always, you can find this podcast and, and the ones we did before on our first season from Spotify and all the most common podcast apps that you can find with your phone. So the pandemic has opened up new opportunities for governments and businesses to experiment with the new wave of hybrid learning. However, I think it's safe to say that the uh, pace of change that we have been for experiencing for the past for the past one and a half years has been quite unprecedented. And I think we can go with the first question. We can take a round table starting with you, Peter. Uh, learning from COVID, why do you think we need to rethink education for a uh, digital age? Uh, I think uh, we actually have been rethinking education already for, for quite a bit. I think about 2000 we started going online. It's It's been very slow, but uh, uh, we've, we've seen that. And in, in 2011 we got MOOCs, which was uh, I would say quite a, quite a disruptor in the in the education field because it gave access to education for for many across the world that that didn't have that. Mm -hmm. uh, the disruption of the physical and, and mental environment that we've gone through the, during the last two years have, has of course accelerated that. So we've seen that society and education as the the kind of systemic learning we've we've uh, created during hundreds of years now. Uh, as the, the kind of driver of knowledge uh, in society had to to do something about that. They, mm. they couldn't, you couldn't be physically present anymore. So then, of course, accelerating all these best practices that we already have been creating, uh, that, that was kind of the natural next step 
And uh, as startups is also basically the same same time the world over since 2000, we've seen a, a rise in startups, the disruptors of of business and, and society coming in. Then these two combined has been a very strong force now. And, and we can see that through through the growth in, in educational technology companies and the quite fast acceleration of that. Fantastic. We definitely will come back to dot acceleration. Maybe Paula, what are your thoughts on this? Well, let me first reflect a bit on, on the lessons learned during the pandemic. Here in Finland, the National Agency for Education carried out a study on the impact of the school closures during the pandemic. And uh, the finding was that students and teachers adjusted fairly well to the online learning environments. But however, the students wished for more and direct interaction with their teachers. And those who had more contact performed better. So I don't think hybrid learning can or should replace the direct interaction with a teacher. And whether with the assistance of technology or not, we need to be prepared to reimagine the concept of teaching and learning if we think of education in the digital age. Uh, we need a whole set of different competencies to navigate the future. Problem solving, critical thinking, digital and media literacy are becoming much more important. And for learning to be effective, it needs to increasingly focus on students' active agency. Uh, we need to also address the global learning crisis. And technology can be one tool to assist doing that. Just to add to what Peter and Paula have just mentioned, I think my point of view comes is more about the governance and the policy implementation, I would say, of the transition during the crisis to uh, distance learning and is the result of research I'm involved with an initiative called EdTech Hub, which is a non-profit global research partnership aiming at providing research evidence, not tech solution, but research evidence to decision makers in low and middle income countries uh, who have to make decisions about technology and education. The initiative is supported by the um, foreign office in the UK, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and the World Bank. Being a research initiative, one project I was involved now during the crisis during 2020 was a stock taking across 10 countries from Western Africa to Southeast Asia to just not so much compare them, but just to assess a bit the response. And Paola, to, to your point, some of the key um, learning from that exercise were the following, that the, the state of development implementation of ICT development and policy and infrastructure determined the extent to which different type of technology could be then applied to the uh, online or distance learning. Um, countries where there was a possibility to make decision at different level, not only centralized or national, but also subnational had the flexibility probably to try multi-channel or different types of technology together. A key issue, which I think we will touch upon our discussion today, is then the point of marginalized learning. Essentially, is it's a bit naive to think that technology reaches absolutely everyone because also the state of ICT and infrastructure, etc. So the issue of mar marginalization of learners who come from different backgrounds e e uh, in terms of income, geography, etc. Uh, and gender determined uh, really poses some great challenges in some of the countries. And I can uh, share some more detailed experiences if we get on to that. 
Mm. Coming back quickly, Paula, to your uh, point of views about the global uh, learning crisis. What did you mean with that? Okay, so this is basically the fact that, for example, uh, in sub-Saharan Africa, two-thirds of, of children aged 10 who are actually attending school cannot read or write a simple sentence. So we're talking about learning poverty, that kids uh, attending school are not learning the basics. Mm. So listening to your uh, good point of views here, you touched upon, I think, Peter, on the fact that, and, and also Paula, on the brick and mortar, you know, normal way of studying and and, and, and the situation, what we are now facing, what basically basically could be interpreted as like hybrid learning or blended studying. Uh, are we in a situation where everywhere in the world we are in a situation that the brick and mortar normal way of studying is something of a past or what, what is the situation right now? Peter. Well, uh, uh, we are not in a situation where, <laughs> where it is uh, uh, something of the past. We, we still have many, many, many places where people are just going back to school. And I'm more or less continuing like like before, and I I reacted to to uh, one of your comments in the beginning as well. You said post Corona or post COVID, and I don't think we are uh, post yet, uh, or will we ever be? Uh, we don't have enough of the population vaccinated, and I think the same with with education. We don't have the digital tools out there. We don't have the connectivity uh, out across the world to to be able to to uh, have a new hybrid or blended. I mean, we have schools that have no electricity, no toilets, no water, you know, so it's uh, and there is a lot of them. Mm. So I, I don't think we, we can. There is there is a big digital divide yes. and that affects a lot. But there is also a big cultural divide and that that affects a lot. So we have innovators going for this and we have those who don't. This is basically the you, you catch <laughs> directly to the point that I was trying to make the digital chasm or divide that is that is basically building now uh, in, in our age. Uh, over the co- upcoming decades, uh, technology is most likely uh, going to significantly improve access to and the uh, quality of education globally. But uh, if the education as we're seeing it here um, is becoming increasingly portable, accessible or high speed, does it automatically mean that it's uh, good for everyone? Is it good that we are making such a, you know fast leaps? From my point of view, again, going back a bit to this country research about experiences in countries or on the ground working with local researchers in those 10 countries. um, Yeah, there are there are definitely challenges in terms of reaching, etc. There are particular groups of learners that uh, because of being disadvantaged for various reasons and particularly uh, girls, maybe when uh, you know, the, the learning and teaching modalities really from home because of the crisis we have been and we probably, Peter, as you said, we continue to be. They really suffer from this uh, situation because the technology is just not there. i give you an example. Pakistan, one of the countries which we have researched, has a student population in primary and secondary school of 41 million. So these are kids from 5 to 16 years of age. In a country uh, like Pakistan, with 200 million people population, uh, data from 2019 show that only 34% of the population has access or uses internet, mainly, I would say, in urban areas. So there is definitely that divide, the ability of technology to reach rural areas. As a result, the 
the technologies that were actually more used, probably because also of the infrastructure in place in, uh, in uh, countries such as Pakistan in, at the provincial level, during the closures of school were really TV, TV, uh, TV programs or recording of classes put on TV channel organized by provincial or federal level. Radio programs were also very popular because there is a greater reach than with digital technology, but also very successful were WhatsApp group, hundreds of them involved with tens of thousands of people in which teachers, students, parents, and also education authorities interact. So one may say that is low tech, but nevertheless is a tech that helps to try to bridge that divide and as to whether we will reach a level of high tech all over the world that will take a long time. Yeah, I fully agree with you, Arnoldo. Really, we need to also look at the low tech and, and we need to consider the fact that there is a big risk that technology will further widen the inequalities. Similar examples like the one you, you said from Pakistan are all over the world. In Ethiopia, some 15% of the population have access to internet. About a quarter of primary schools are connected to electricity. So those um, the, the technologies are, are likely to, to advance in the urban areas, but is the urban-rural divide getting bigger with this? That's, that's one thing to consider. And then also, uh, like Arnaldo, I want to stress that um, the technology can be one tool to, to improve access and quality of education, but it needs to be associated with more comprehensive reforms to support education system strengthening. We need to look at inclusive education policies. How do we make the system more equitable and inclusive? We need to look at curriculum reforms. Like I said, we need to reimagine the way we teach and learn. And uh, we need to look at support for teachers. Teachers will need a lot of uh, assistance. And uh, another issue is that technology enables uh, much more access to information. And now that's why the ability to identify the relevant information and interpret it becomes essential. So we need those skilled teachers and we need the curricula that is emphasizing critical thinking, digital and media literacy. So we really need to reimagine mm. the concept of teaching and learning. And I think the brick and mortar uh, way of teaching, well, maybe it's a thing in the past, but we still need the teachers and we still need that interaction with the teachers. So maybe we uh, move on uh, just a little bit and, and discuss practical examples on how technology or improved organizations or improved policies that they're imp implementing could improve the accessibility and quality of education in these, in these regions in the world. Peter, would you like to have, or do you have some some kind of an example on on uh, a good project or or um, important project that that comes to your mind in this regard? Giga Connect, which is a global project to to connect all schools to the internet. I think that's perhaps the the project at the moment. There there are many other ones uh, working on on this connectivity issue as well, but that is and then uh, UNESCO's. Uh, uh, Global Education Coalition is is of course uh, another one, and they they have many sub -pro programs. For example, the, the teacher train, uh, teacher campus. So uh, I think those two are that that pops to mind. I have uh, one example which is related to a partnership that the Tech Hub has established with one uh, one uh, organization involved in 
development and evolving some of these solutions. The organization is based in Kenya and Nairobi. It's called A Kitabu. Kitabu is Swahili for book. And this organization established in 2012. Uh, they have created and developed a digital platform to help access books and teaching material online in the forms of ebooks, but also to contextualize in the sense to, up, to adapt it and increase the reach to students by translating in different local languages, also try to reduce the cost of access for school and students. And the hub, I mean, Ekitabo had this project, but the hub is contributing con contributing and uh, participating, collaborating with them, particularly to increase the accessibility for students with learning disability, particularly if they are blind or deaf. So sign language videos to complement the text or um, audio uh, parts in their platform. That's one example. This is in Kenya, Ghana, and Tanzania, as well as other sub-Saharan African countries. Yeah, I, I agree with Peter. GIGA is a, is a very uh, important in initiative for connectivity. And there are so many uh, so many different examples. Uh, uh, one thing I want to highlight is that uh, technology al already by now has greatly enhanced evidence-based decision-making and education sector planning. In the past, for example, many countries used to, to collect school census data on a piece of paper. It took months for that data to reach the educa education authorities in the ministries of education. Now, for example, in Ethiopia, the General Education Quality Improvement Program that Finland, uh, by the way, uh, the UK as well, are supporting, funded some laptops and pads to school inspectors. So when they go to schools, they can directly input that data into the electronic format. So uh, informed decision making is becoming much more timely and accurate. Uh, the World Bank also has piloted uh, systems for tracking teacher attendance in schools um, in real time. So there are numerous possibilities for better and improved education sector planning and information management. And it's becoming more and more sophisticated with the help of technology. Uh, Finland is also supporting UNICEF's uh, innovation fund that is funding a lot of interesting work in this regard. Uh, for example, it's supported a platform that used artificial intelligence and machine learning with satellite data to map schools and hospitals in India. S um, and then, like I said earlier, uh, another thing uh, where there's a lot of potential is, is how technology can facilitate better teacher training, uh, and especially in rural areas or areas where access otherwise is difficult. Uh, for example, currently we have a project with the uh, University of Eastern Finland at the University of Helsinki here and then Birchett University in the West Bank uh, in Palestine as well as uh, Al-Ahzar University in Gaza uh, to improve teacher training. And of course, we all know how difficult it is to get in and out of Gaza, for instance. Now technology has enabled this project to, to take place online and this interaction between the universities. So uh, I would say at that level, it is very useful. Mm. And, and while we're discussing this uh, excellent project, it's good to have and consider the inclusivity and the openness and equality that they can provide and create. Uh, and, and particularly, uh, in your opinion, how does the new edtech solutions or these programs help to improve girls' education opportunities in these areas, regions or countries? 
Yeah, I think to start with, we need to address the barriers that prevent access to technology for girls and for women. And we need to provide girls and women opportunities to access the technology. So this requires that we look at the norms that prevent girls from using technology and we look at the availability of services. And then we need to empower girls to use them. Finland is a co-lead in the Global Generation Equality Campaign in the Action Coalition for Technology and Innovation for Gender Equality. And there, our aim is that by 2026, women and girls in all their diversity have equal opportunities to safely and meaningfully access, use, lead and design technology and innovations. So I think advocacy is very important in this regard. Mm. Arnaldo, do you have something? Technology can help and close the gap. But it's not just technology, it's the system that enables technology actually to make that. So a policy or a system approach to it is quite important because it will help to generate the data, Paula, that you were mentioning about who is left out, who is not, particularly in the case of girls. And I want to mention in this respect two colleagues in the hub who are working at the moment uh, to try uh, to explore the system perspective or view of a tech or technology in education, one colleague is uh, Akanksha Bapna. Uh, she has led a team working on a position paper which makes the case about a system approach to a tech, not only for analyzing and learning, but also for decision making. So that, is, as I said, the focus is not only the technology, but also the decision that enable technology to have a positive impact. The second colleague is Asma Zubairi, who is leading on a position paper which is about equity with a tech, which tries to spell out which principles decision makers or also funders, I would say, that support decision makers, right, Paula, could consider in terms of making a tech more inclusive and reducing those gaps. In principle, that she's highlighting in the paper, which is soon to be published by the Tech Hub, is to generate evidence about what works, what does not work in terms of reach. Uh, from technology and then, of course, decides how to approach the technology in education, test technologies and solutions in difficult areas where maybe, you know, the connectivity is not great and there are other barriers or so because there is where the marginalized learner maybe are located. Train teacher and invest in training teacher on using digital technology and then involve users, not only students, but teacher, parents, etc. in the development design of some of these platforms. So she's spelling out this principle, which is as a position paper is aimed at mm. contributing to a discussion on this topic. We have outlined really good opportunities and, and, and uh, success stories here, but I would also like to hear about the challenges uh, that we are facing. And maybe Peter, if you would like to uh, contribute here and particularly uh, maybe from the business side of side of uh, this, this table. Um, data availability we're flying blind in 97 countries so yes we have access to data and we're building that but we still have a long way to go we have a 195 countries or something like that in the world so half the 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 sub-saharan uh, continent for example is we're, we're about the same amount of people this year or last year and uh, uh, into the future uh, the only continent that's actually growing is sub-saharan africa so we're, we're going to have a, a explosion of uh, people in, in sub-Saharan Africa. And, and already uh, between 2040, uh, 2020 and 2040, 
uh, we have a growth of 20 to 40 percent in, in sub-Saharan Africa uh, at the age of five to nine in the population. So how are we going to tackle this, uh, taking into account all of, all of these other challenges as well? Maybe uh, some other challenges also, Paula, that come to your mind? Well, of course, and there are so many, so many challenges. But uh, but uh, I I want to stress what Arnaldo mentioned about about marginalization. Mm -hmm. It's it's a big risk. One thing where where I can think uh, I think uh, uh, technology has has a great um, opportunity to address marginalization is in terms of of sol solutions that are supporting persons with disabilities, because uh, that's where you can really make a transformational uh, impact. And uh, I would say. No, we have limited resources. We have challenges in connectivity, but if we have limited resources, we should invest them in equality. That's where we can make a big impact. So give that computer to the blind student, for instance, and uh, their world is, is completely transformed. Uh, yeah, and, and this goes maybe to the business part of it as well. Uh, what investment is, is focusing on today is actually making money. It's not on the impact. We do, we do see impact investors coming in, but a lot of these solutions that we need on the ground to make the right kind of impact are not being funded. It's slowly, slowly starting to move in that direction. And, and organizations like the World Bank is, is waking up to that we need to work together with the private sector because that's the, the kind of plethora of innovations uh, is, is coming from that. So, so this is also a, a connection. We need to see how we use money globally and, and how we can support those who really, really need the, the huge amount of funds we do have. I mean, we, we have the money. It's just that it's not in the right place right now. Mm. Uh, it would be nice to hear a, a bit um, if you think about timeline or a near, near future. What do you think? What kind of uh, timeline are we speaking? If, if we do have the money and, and we know the areas where the projects should be should be uh, created. What kind of timeline are we looking at in creating this impact, creating the change, Peter? 50 years. 50? Yeah. And in, in 50 years, we will still need support for literacy. Uh, so so we, it's, th this is a kind of looking into the future project. It's not this quarter or next quarter or, or next year. We, we have to, it's a very complex system. And it has to be approached in that way. And we have to really look into the future. Maybe taking, taking it into, into a bit more practical level from this, from this maybe strategic systemic, systemic discussion. Um, if we think about, let's say, the business side of this, uh, which sectors or stages of education, levels of education, are, see, are we seeing the most innovative solutions? And ideas, and and by this I mean, are, are we looking at elementary? Are we looking at upper, uh, secondary, vocational, or or university level? Where do we see the most uh, innovative things happening? I would say the least on university level. Okay, but all the other ones, uh, there are great examples of of, uh, and also of course at at university levels we we see signals that, but it's it's a little bit slower at at higher education. And of course, that's because of, of uh, research should really be independent and they should have their own processes. So it's, it's also important that it is very slow change yeah. at university level. But that, of course, affects these kind of situations as well. 
Uh, yeah, also from what has emerged from the research in the hub is, is, uh, is similar. I mean, there are several examples in sub-Saharan Africa. I mean, I mentioned already Ekitabu, which is Eastern Africa, also Western Africa, rising academies, Sierra Leone, Liberia, Ghana, who are all tackling primary, secondary levels, I would say, yes, which is the focus also of the research of the hub, not so much higher education. Um, I'm a teacher myself, and, and for me, one very interesting area of edtech are the kind of platforms that make use of learning analytics and personalized learning content. That means they, they sort of build on artificial intelligence that adapts the pace of progress based on the learner's responses, and they provide a lot of information also for the teachers on the learning of, of the students. One uh, interesting company to follow is Graphogame. I think uh, Peter knows them very well. It's an evidence-based app that utilizes phonetic methodology for learning to read. Here in Finland, it's known as Ekapeli and widely used in all elementary schools. I've used it with my own students. And uh, now uh, Graphogame is, is uh, also going global. They've been carrying out research globally and they have language versions in numerous languages, English, French, Spanish, uh, Swahili, and Chinyanja, to name a few. And they've also developed a business model for, for the developing markets. So I think uh, that's, that's one very interesting uh, example of this kind of uh, learning analytics and, and uh, those kind of solutions. Yes. There's one question from the audience directed to Paula. I'll just read through it and, and then we can, we can discuss that. But... Uh, Paula reminded that people need a whole new set of competences for digital education, and you all discussed the digital divide and marginalization. Is this something that also rich countries should be concerned about? Does a lack of digital skills already disadvantage kids, for example, in Finland? Definitely, yes. I think it's uh, an issue for all countries. Uh, I mean, uh, the, the, the SDG 4, the, 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 uh, the Sustainable Development Goal for Education concerns all countries and we all have to rethink education and rethink the way we, we teach and learn. Uh, here in Finland, we are constantly doing that and our, our schools and teachers are constantly uh, doing it. So, so yes, we, we all need to look in the future. I mean, I can bring an example from Italy, which is a country I come from. So Italy uh, has uh, Opetus Hallitus also, you know, and National Agency for Education. They conducted a, a just recently published last month an evaluation of the impact of COVID and distance education on the learning outcomes for students primary and lower secondary. And it was a disaster. I mean, all the indicators in terms of learning have gone down also with gaps between within the country, particularly in the South. And one reason, not the only reason, but was the ability of teachers to actually um, know how to use technology and also the fact that technology was not easy for learners themselves. Just a quick reminder for all the participants in the stream, you can send your questions into the Teams chat box and we're happy to answer them. We still have a couple of questions uh, to go in our discussion and would obviously happily answer your your input also. But uh, as a secondary or, or nearly final note, um, Peter, what obstacles are still holding back the future business potential of digital education? Just a couple of examples. There might be quite a lot of them, but uh, maybe one of the major ones is single sign-on. 
So so having having access through through one identity, uh, that that's a, a very very big problem because uh, implementing, uh, let's say, fifteen different uh, educational solutions, and you having having to to log into these through <laughs> well either a American corporation because they might have Google or Facebook sign in. Uh, is is a problem. Of course, we we've so kind of solved this in Finland um, through through the AMPAS ID, but this is still globally a, a very big problem. Um, there are a fair amount of, of bottlenecks. Uh, marketplace is one, and we're trying to to work on that. I think we we identified twelve together with uh, uh, United Nations Innovation Lab when they still existed, uh, and and we wrote a paper about that. All these different kind of bottlenecks. I'm I'm. Happy to share that if somebody is interested in in looking at that. Uh, I I could look for the the <laughs> kind of graph, but it's uh, I don't have it here right now. It's fine. W what about you? Do you have any ideas on this on this uh, topic? Well, I think the 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 edtech companies they need to do much more outreach and, and know their context much better, especially if they want to to go into the developing countries. Uh, and we need also much more co-creation between. Perhaps uh, the, the edtech com uh, community and and uh, non-governmental organizations, non-profits, uh, development financiers, and so forth. So uh, there's a lot of uh, work to do. I mean, for me, I guess it's more a general point, but building on Peter and Paula's point is also uh, from the business point of view. If you think now from high-income countries such as Finland and other countries, is also to reach out. And establish partnership and collaboration with local, you know, um, um, business or organization who, of course, are very much aware about the context, what is enabling environment, or also what is doesn't enable solution to be uh, brought forward. As a final question, I'd like to summarize the topics that we have uh, gone through together. Maybe if Arnoldo starting with you if we could summarize the key points that you would like us like our listeners to to take away from this discussion what, what would they be the main points one point for me is technology definitely has a lot of potential and opportunities and can you know improve things in education i mean the potential is there but um the but is not the negative but but it's like um, but we need to think, as I said earlier, probably I repeat myself, to technology not just as a solution to a problem, but as an input to a system and the way that a system, in this case education, works. Because by pushing on the technology button, if you have a map of the system in front of you, you influence other relationships. And those relationships enable technology to be effective and useful and context uh, relevant. I guess one point for me. Yeah, fully agree with what Arnoldo said. We need to, to look at the system as a whole. And then I've got two points uh, myself. First, if you have limited resources, invest them in equality. That's where you can make the biggest and most transformational impact. And secondly, as a teacher myself, I want to remind that technology can never replace the role of a competent and motivated teacher. The digital environments require entirely new pedagogical approaches and we must invest in teachers and we must invest in their continuous uh, professional development. And Peter? Uh, complex challenges require complex solutions. That's number one. Uh, systems thinking across all verticals, so method content, delivery support, infra. 
and then sustainability uh, and decent human values uh, and, and the resources to actually implement all of this. Thank you very much to all of you for these points of use and interesting, really interesting discussion. As always, you can find Future Talks Are You Listening podcasts from Spotify and all the most common podcast apps that are available on your phone. From this side of the studio, thank you very much to all involved. Goodbye and have a great afternoon.